If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 4, please. We finish our series today called Love Thy Neighbor, and we've spent the first three weeks talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, about how we can see our neighbor and serve our neighbor and pray for our neighbor. This morning, we end our series by changing gears and looking at when Jesus goes into Samaria and acts like a good neighbor to a woman he meets here at the well in Samaria. So let me read for us, and you can read along with me in your Bible, John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 3. It says, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and come back here drawing water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. You Jews claim the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Let's pray together. Lord, we stand in awe in this of this beautiful conversation. Where you would see fit to put on flesh and dwell among your people to come and find us. Like that song we sang this morning, you go to the greatest extent to come after us. You walk through the desert, find us at wells. You open your mouth and give us the words of life. You draw us to yourself. You didn't come to condemn us, but to save us through Jesus. Lord, we think of this uh, calling you've given each of us to bring the gospel of life into this world, 
to have encounters with people like Jesus did with this woman. And Lord, we admit that so often we, we drop the ball in a sense when it comes to sharing our faith with others. We don't know what to say. We're, we're scared to say it. We always say the wrong thing. It doesn't seem to be working. And we pray that this morning as we look into your word that you would give us freedom. You would show us what you have for us and how you desire to walk with us through our lives as we live out your mission. We pray that you would guide us today as we encounter your word together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a bad evangelism moment in your life? Either someone coming to you to share the gospel and it went wrong, or, or you went to tell someone about Jesus and it went wrong. I'm going to share with you my, my craziest evangelism moment. Disclaimer, this story is true. And number two, uh, when you think that's a crazy story, just wait, it gets crazier. Just my disclaimers. My buddy and I, who was another pastor here at the church, decided to take a road trip to Dallas. I was moving to Dallas, and, and on the way, we kind of went out of our way a little bit, and we stopped in Arizona to have dinner with a friend of mine from back in the day. And so me and this pastor sat down at the sushi restaurant with my buddy and his wife, and, and this pastor didn't really know these folks, and so we were kind of making small talk, getting to know each other around the table, eating our dinner, all that kind of stuff, having a good time. And then when we finished our meal, something happened in the restaurant that was just weird. The, the music started getting louder and louder and louder. And it got to this point that we were like shouting at the table, not like yelling at each other, but talking over the music. And, and eventually like our conversations kind of split in two where because we couldn't hear each other, I just started talking to my buddy's wife across the table. This pastor was talking to my buddy across the table and we had these two parallel conversations going. And I've told you before that I'm kind of an eavesdropper. So I was talking in my conversation and I was listening to the conversation happening over here because what piqued my interest was that the pastor asked my buddy, he said, hey, tell me your faith story. Are you, are you a religious guy? And I thought, ooh, okay, this is where they're going in this loud restaurant, right? And so he's talking over the music, tell me your faith story, right? And so I'm trying to stay engaged in my conversation. And over here, this other parallel conversation's happening where my buddy is saying, hey, uh, yeah, I'm not really a religious guy. I grew up going to church a little bit, but never got into it and never really understood what the whole deal was all about. I know you guys are pastors. You know, maybe you can explain it to me, right? So I'm sitting over here, like, trying to have a conversation, trying to pray for this conversation, and trying to listen to this conversation and see what's going to happen. And, and so the pastor says to my buddy, he says, hey, uh, would it be cool, can I just explain to you why I'm a pastor and why I decided to follow Jesus? And my buddy across the table is like, absolutely, I'd love to hear that. And I'm like, okay, this is the moment, right? This is the moment that you're waiting for. Like, it's up on a tee for the guy to just knock it out of the park, right? And so the pastor opens his mouth to try to share the gospel with this guy. And as he does, the music in the restaurant just goes up to this like deafening level. Like everyone in the restaurant, including us, were like, oh, right? And we're like looking around like, what is happening in here, right? And he's trying to like shout the gospel. Like God loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life, right? It's so loud. And then my buddy across the table is like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you, right? We're like, what is happening? And so we like pay the bill. I told you it's going to get crazier. Well, we pay the bill. We leave the restaurant and we close the doors behind us. And we're like, what was that? I'm thinking like, okay, that, that was like this spiritual warfare, warfare thing or something, right? Evangelism, botched. But then my buddy from across the table, outside in the parking lot, he says, hey, the pastor and I were actually having a really good conversation about something. I, I don't want to stop. 
could we like go grab a cup of coffee at our house or something? I'd love to kind of hear what he was, was sharing with me. I'm like, absolutely, we'd love to do that. You know, like we gotta, it's like 10 o'clock, we gotta be in Flagstaff to our hotel, it's like two hours away. It's like, let's just do it. We gotta have this conversation. This is gonna be amazing, right? It's worth it, let's go for it. And so we, we go start walking back towards our car. They start walking towards their car. And as they start walking towards their car, my buddy that wanted to hear the gospel collapses and falls to the ground in the parking lot. We're like, whoa, right? And so we like come around and we're like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I just tripped or I don't know what happened, right? So we kind of help him up and he takes another step and collapses and falls in the parking lot again. And his wife is like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I think we need to go to the emergency room. Like, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to cut this night short, right? We're like, no problem. They get in their car. They drive away. We get in our car. We start driving north. We're like, what was that? So we get a text from them. She's like, you would not believe what happened. He was just walking to his car, and I guess his Achilles tendon just snapped. It's like, this is like, I don't know how Achilles tendons work, but like sucked up inside of his leg or something. That's my crazy evangelism story. <laughs> Do you have one? There's something about sharing our faith that it just seems like there's pressure there or things happen. Have you ever had that something happens, you're trying to share the gospel, but the person's super distracted? Or you have this moment to go across the street and talk to your neighbor and you start to open up about your life and then all of a sudden they get a phone call, they have to leave? Right? Or you start talking to the person and they look at you like, I do not want to hear this message. Right? right? Like, there's something about sharing Jesus with our neighbor that's different than the other three things we've talked about in this series. You know, it's, it's fun to start seeing our neighbors. You know, it's invigorating to start developing hearts of compassion towards our neighbors and serving our neighbors. Right? It can be really fulfilling to start praying for our neighbors and asking God to do great works in their life. And then step four, share Jesus with your neighbor. That one seems different, doesn't it? That seems harder. It seems more angsty or something. Like for some of us, we hear this idea of sharing our faith with others and we just get terrified. Like, God, please don't make me do it. Why is it so hard? If you're taking notes today, you'll see that question that looks like a rhetorical one right there on the top of your outline. Why is it so hard to share Jesus with people? I don't really mean it to be a rhetorical question. Really think about that for a minute. Why is it so hard for you? Or do you not know what to say in those conversations? Do you lack the opportunity to, to share Jesus with people? Do you lack the courage when you have the opportunity to take it? When you start that conversation, do you always feel like you botch it and mess up and say the wrong thing? Do you feel like the people around you are kind of hostile to that conversation? Or maybe you just have no desire to do it and you really want to conjure up a desire, but you can't, but... Why is it for you? Why is it so hard to share Jesus with people? And last week, Larry talked to us about a story. Remember that story he told us about being on the basketball court? And he met, if you weren't here, he, he went on the basketball court to play basketball. He meets this woman and feels compelled to pray for her. So he goes home and prays for her. Then he comes back the next week, sees her again and says, hey, can we talk? Shares the gospel. She accepts Christ. Then she joins our church in like a minute. I'm thinking like, how often does that happen? Like that never happens to me. Right? I'm sure if Larry was here, he'd say, hey, that hardly ever happens to me either. Usually it's a long road. Usually it's a hard road. Usually there's a lot of conversations. Sometimes there's no conversations. He said that last week, but we see these glimpses of, of amazing, fruitful conversations, even like Jesus has in this passage here. And we think, how do I get that? How can I be that person who has those conversations that leads people to life? 
And is there a way to do it that doesn't seem so scary and isn't going to end up with my friend collapsing in a parking lot somewhere? I think as we look at John chapter 4 this morning, we'll see that God intends for us to find freedom in this area as we understand a little bit about what brought Jesus to the well that afternoon. I spent all week staring at this story because it's perfect. Like every detail about this story with Jesus and this woman is immaculate. Like it's amazing. Jesus finds himself in the desert alone. His disciples are gone and then a woman emerges, right? And if you think it's scary to have someone come to your house and share the gospel, imagine meeting God in the desert, right? And she comes to Jesus. They start this conversation and the conversation is perfect They have this like spiritual banter thing going on and it seems lighthearted and fun. Then it gets real. And then they start talking about theology. Then he turns the corner and she's like, well, I guess we'll just have to punt and wait for Messiah. And then he's like, you're looking at him. Oh, that's perfect, right? I want a conversation like that. And so I spent all week looking at this saying, okay, what is the method we learn in John 4 about how to have conversations like that? Because Jesus was masterful at the art of conversation. How do we do it? I started taking notes, right? I have this journal in front of me and I'm like writing all these notes. Maybe he did this. Maybe this was his angle. What was in his brain? How did he get there? How did he turn the corner in the conversation? How might we turn the corner in the conversation? And I felt like one of those things where there's the crazy board with all the strings attached to it, right? I'm like, how does Jesus get in these amazing life-giving conversations with people and how can we? Because I want to teach us how to do this. And so after a lot of work, here's where I landed on how Jesus did this so perfectly. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. The method we learn in John 4. Number one, if you want to share the gospel like Jesus did, be in the right place at the right time. You can't really control that, but you just got to keep that in mind. Jesus was in the right place at the right time. Number two, this is what I see Jesus doing. Masterfully navigate the conversation towards spiritual things. Jesus masterfully navigated this conversation. Number three, this one's going to be hard for mere mortals, but what Jesus did was share knowledge about their private life only God could have revealed. (laughs) That one might be a stretch for you, but that's what we learn in John 4. Share knowledge about their private life only God could have revealed. And then number four, if you can do number three, number four is easy. Send them to reach their whole city. Send them out to reach their whole city. Easy, right? Be in the right place at the right time. Masterfully navigate the conversation. Drop a truth bomb, right? Na- reveal something that only God can know. And then when they say, oh, wow, you must be the Messiah, say, oh, it's me. Right? Well, don't do that part. <laughs> but if you get that far, then just send them out. They'll go reach their, reach their whole city. Right? I know it's kind of a joke, but the reason I put that actually on your outline was because all week long as I looked at this passage, I kept looking for a methodology. And I think if we're going to be honest, that's the methodology we find in John chapter 4. So either Jesus wants you to become a mind reader and masterful at the art of conversation, or or maybe God has a different lesson for us in this passage. And the reason I bring this up is because when when I was in college, I was a new Christian, and I jumped in with a campus ministry that they really wanted to train us on the art of evangelism and evangelistic conversation. And so they were big at number two on the list, masterfully navigating the art of conversation. So they taught us ways to take normal conversations and turn them into supernatural conversations. This is the only one I remember. They said, hey, if you're ever at a baseball game and you don't know the guy next to you, but you think he's not a believer because he's drinking beer or something, who knows, you, you nudge him and you say, hey, this is a big inning, right? And the guy's going to be like, yeah, it's a big inning. And then say, hey, did you know that in the Bible it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? 
That's the only one I remember. Never used it. But that's the only one I remember. They said, find any opportunity to take a conversation and just twist it towards the gospel. Just kind of, you know, you, like, you put the conversation in like a wrestling hold and twist its arm and say, uncle, we're talking about Jesus instead, right? Do it, right? And so we actually used to workshop that. We would sit there at youth group and we'd go back and forth and, and one person was like Jane non-believer and the other person was like Joe Christian. And you say, hey, how you doing? It's like, oh, I'm doing okay. Oh, cool. So what you got going on this week? Oh, just school and stuff. How about you? Oh, I go to youth group. Do you want to hear about Jesus? Like, oh, good. Check, ding, right? <laughs> Try it again. Okay, hey, uh, hey, you look down. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm just a little bit sad today. Oh, I'm so sorry. What's going on? Oh, my boyfriend just dumped me. Oh, do you want to hear about a man who will never dump you? His name is Jesus, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think I'm actually pretty good at this. This is, <laughs> tell the other services, come to third service. This is coming together. All right, so they taught us how to masterfully navigate every conversation. And we're like, okay, we can do this, right? We can take any normal conversation and kind of like one-up it and make it about Jesus. And so then they sent us out to practice on people, humans. <laughs> so remember they said, hey, go out, Sprawl Plaza at UC Berkeley was the place where everybody hung out between classes. Hey, go out to Sprawl Plaza, find a protester or something and sit next to them <laughs> and strike up a conversation and then use your techniques on them, right? Turn it to spiritual and see what happens, right? And I'm like trembling in my boots. I wasn't wearing boots, but I was trembling and I'm thinking, what am I, how am I gonna do this, right? And I had this plan, like I'm taking an elective on worldview and I wrote a paper on Christian apologetics so I can get us talking about what classes we're taking and they ask me, then I'll say that I'm taking a class on worldview and then I'll ask them if they have a worldview and if they don't go that direction, I've always got my apologetics thing in my back pocket to say, hey, I'm writing an interesting paper. Can I test it on you, right? I had this whole methodology and it terrified me. I started seeing everyone differently in the world. Like, oh no, that's someone I might have to share the gospel with. <laughs> I started seeing conversations differently. Like, oh no, like they just want to get to know me. I feel like I should be twisting this conversation into spiritual things and it never worked and I was terrible at it. And I think if, you know what, if the goal of evangelism is to masterfully navigate a conversation, I'm the worst at that. I learned a lot of really great things in that ministry and in that leadership training, but I don't think this was one of those things. <laughs> I really don't think that's what Jesus was doing here. I mean, he was masterfully navigating the conversation, and he did have a direction, and he did have a point, and he did have something to offer, and he wanted to get there, but his conversation set, seemed fun and life-giving and real and provocative in, in natural ways. I think the point of John 4, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that when it comes to sharing Jesus with your neighbor, here's what we learn in John 4. Jesus does all the work. Right? In John chapter 4, Jesus does all the work. But you know what? When you talk to your actual neighbor 2,000 years later, Jesus does all the work in that conversation too. Right? You are not going to be able to put yourself in the right place at the right time. Agreed? But God can put you in the right place at the right time. Right? Doesn't Paul tell us in Acts 17 that God has appointed the times and places where all of us live? He put you in your neighborhood for a reason right now. Maybe you can't masterfully navigate a conversation, but you know who can? God can masterfully navigate a conversation. Have you ever walked away from a conversation that did turn out really good and, and spiritually fruitful, and you thought, man, how did that happen? Like, I didn't do that on purpose. It just kind of naturally emerged. There's something beautiful about what just happened there. It's like God showed up with us. That's Jesus doing all the work. You cannot reveal things about their life that only God knows. But you know what's kind of funny? 
sometimes God does that through us to other people. Have you ever seen that? You know, like you're sitting in church and you feel like the pastor is speaking directly to you. And you're starting to get kind of irritated, like, did someone tell him what I'm going through? Right? And like in that moment, whoever's speaking on the stage is sharing things about your life that only God can know. They have no idea they're doing it, right? We don't know what we're doing up here, right? We, we just share the words that God puts on our hearts, but God works through that to connect with people's hearts. And the same thing can happen when you connect with people one-on-one in the real world. You don't mean to be telling them everything about themselves. Jesus was, but he was Jesus. You're you. But the same Jesus who talked to the woman at the well is going to talk to your neighbor through you. And the joke about sending them off to lead their whole village to Christ. You know what? Like, we cannot fabricate the results of a Jesus-centered conversation. We can't make it happen. We can't make someone come to Christ. We can't transform a village. But you know what? Like Mark talked about in India, that still happens today. People have conversations about Jesus that lead to entire villages coming to Christ. And it's not because there's some magic going on where the pastor has a secret special message. It's God works through the message of the gospel to transform lives and whole, whole communities are changed. I don't think the goal when it comes to sharing Jesus with your neighbor is learning the art of conversation. I think the goal is learning how to live a life where God is likely to work through you and in you and around you. I think that's what we see in John chapter four. Jesus does all the work. What's our part in this? Number one, we trust God. We trust him. I love Larry last week talking about the prayer notebook and just trusting that God's gonna work. We just put the requests out there and we see what he does. We do our part. We lean into him. We say, God, I, I see this person. I know you have a heart for this person. God, move in this person. And then we watch. We see what God does. We trust God with these things. And the hard thing about the idea of trusting God with these things and, and taking our hands off of the conversations and watching him work and giving him ability to work is a lot of times it feels like when we take our hands off, nothing happens. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we don't see any movement. We look, and we look, and we look, and we don't see any opportunities. We say, you know what, I'm going to stop fabricating these conversations. I'm going to let them come to me, and they never do. So sometimes we can get discouraged and think, you know what, maybe, maybe this isn't working. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I need to get better at masterfully navigating conversations. We try to trust God, but it's not enough, it seems. And when I read John chapter 4, I, I, see, I see that trust God principle, but I also see something that Jesus was doing that we often don't notice because we just look at the conversation. I see number two here, that Jesus patterns his life around his mission. I think that's the challenge for us, to pattern our lives around the mission. And here's what I mean by that. And this passage starts by saying that Jesus was down in Judea and he had to go up north to Galilee, and so he so had to go through Samaria. Which on a map, that's true, right? He had, you got the Galilee, Samaria, or Judea, Samaria, Galilee. You have to go through. But the truth is, in those days, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other so much, Jews would never go through Samaria. Like, they would circumvent the entire thing just to avoid Samaria. So it's kind of this tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek, like Jesus, you know, Jesus, he had to go through Samaria, right? Like, he had to go and encounter these people that everybody else hated. His mission was to go find that woman at the well. And so he had to go through a city that no one else would go through. He changed his lifestyle and was different than the people around him because he had to get to those people. We see Jesus tired and weary 
after a long walk through the desert, hungry, the disciples go to get food, and Jesus plops down next to a well. And the woman gets out there, and she says, how are you going to drink? You don't even have any, you don't like a cup. You don't have any way to get water out of this well. What, what were you thinking? Have you ever wondered, why would Jesus is so thirsty? Why does he just sit there next to a well? Couldn't he like magically create water or something? Couldn't he have gone out with the disciples to go find some water? But no, Jesus put himself in a place where he was not going to be able to drink water unless some person came and gave it to him. So that's why when the woman came, he just had one natural question. Can you give me some water? And boom, they're in a conversation. The disciples come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman. It's like, oh, Jesus, that's what he does, right? They say, Jesus, are you hungry? And Jesus says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Like, what? What does, he, what does that mean? Do you have a sandwich in there or something? What are you talking about? <laughs> and Jesus says, my food is to do the work of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. And my sustenance does not come from sandwiches. My sustenance comes from doing the work of God. And so I'm filled right now in this moment because God gave me an opportunity to do his work and partner with him. And so I'm full, even though y'all are starving. Jesus had this different lifestyle where he went places no one else went. He got himself intentionally into conversations with people that no one else would. He broke social boundaries, gender boundaries, ethnic boundaries, all the boundaries just to connect with people. And then in the midst of that connection, he knew that was the mission of God and God showed up powerfully in that moment. Jesus, Jesus patterned his life after the mission. My question for us this afternoon is what would it look like for us to pattern our lives after the mission? Again, that sounds like a rhetorical question, but what if it was a, a real question? What would it look like if you lived this way? What changes could you make in your life to, to revolve your life a little bit more around the mission of God this week? You know, I know people who never go to the ATM at the bank. They only go inside and talk to tellers because they want to have more human interaction. Who does that? And Mark was talking about 15 lattes a month. I'm like, who drinks 15 lattes a month, right? But I know people who go to the same coffee shop every day and invest their money buying 15 lattes a month for the only reason that they just want to meet the people in that coffee shop, make that a normal part of their rhythm, and build a community there where conversations are likely to happen as they care for people and serve people and pray for people in that place. Jesus had this amazing saying. He said, use your worldly wealth to make friends for yourself so that you may welcome them into eternal dwellings. Use your money to make friends so that you can bring them to heaven with you. And that's what the 15 lattes a month guy is doing. The guy who buys food for the person behind him in line, that's what he's doing. The woman who brings groceries to her neighbor, that's what she's doing. She's using her worldly mouth to make friends for herself because she knows in the context of friendships, gospel conversations happen. In the midst of gospel conversations, lives are changed for eternity. And this friend she made across the street is not just a friend for life, but a friend forever. What would it look like to live this way? I love the idea of taking off the pressure of navigating the conversation and instead becoming people who live intentionally with our eyes open and our prayers lifted upwards and our hands serving and our hearts breaking for the people in our life around us. One of my best evangelism conversations was on accident. I was a new Christian. This is before I got all my good training on evangelism and 
I, I went down on this road trip and visited some friends at UC San Diego and and I was so excited because I had just started really following Jesus. And my friends who had led me to Christ back in high school initially were all going to school there. And I wanted to go and share with them what God had done in my life. And so I went to this guy's dorm. We got there late at night. And I came over. And I'm so excited. Like, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. And the guy says, oh, yeah, I'm not really into that stuff anymore. I'm like, what? Well, what are you talking about? You taught, me all about? you taught me about quiet times. You taught me about church. You taught me about worship. What are you? He's like, yeah, you know what? I've kind of moved on. And. I'm into some stuff now you probably wouldn't be into. And I'm like, what? So I started talking to this guy and sharing with him about what I'd been reading, sharing with him about my faith, sharing with what, what was important with me, important about this to me. And, and, and as I talked to this guy, it was this crazy experience. I felt like it was an out-of-body experience, but not in this weird paranormal way, just in a mental way. Like I felt like I was watching myself have a conversation on this guy's porch and as I'm watching myself have this conversation, I'm like eavesdropping on myself now. I'm thinking, what, what, where am I getting these things? Right? Like, I, I don't remember reading that passage, and now I'm sharing the word with this guy. Like, I, where did I get that? Like, I didn't learn that in gospel training class. Right? I haven't even taken that class yet. Right? And I, I remember having this conversation thinking, what, what is happening here? Like, this is not what I intended this conversation to be about. I don't know how to have these conversations, but it looks like God's using me in this moment. And it didn't work, right? The guy, like, shut me down. But I walked away just, like, fired up. Like, what was that? So I got this glimpse of, like, God can show up in a conversation and, and use it somehow. And as I was walking away from that conversation back across the quad to where I was staying, I felt like God spoke to me. This is like one of the two times, three times in my life I felt like God spoke to me. And he said, wouldn't it be cool, that's how God talks, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> to devote your life to counseling people with the Bible as a pastor? I'm like, what? And that conversation where I just let God work on accident was a conversation that revealed to me how God wants to work through people. And it was the conversation that God used to say, why don't you do this for the rest of your life? Now, God hasn't called us all to work at churches or nonprofits or travel the world as missionaries, whatever. But how has God called you to live in light of this truth? What conversations does God want you to cultivate in your life? And where are the places you can open yourself up to let him work through you? this week. Let me pray for us that God gives us those conversations and wisdom on how to find them. Let's pray together.